Before you sit down, peace of Christ be with you. Share that peace, share the love, introduce yourself, peace of Christ. Yes, yes. All right, friends, peace of Christ be with you. It was 25 years ago when the gathering started, this collection of Hope College students and people from the community and professors would come into Dimnit Chapel, pull the door handle, adding their fingerprints to the history, and come inside this storied sanctuary to worship. 25 years. Before, when were you born? What year? Yeah, right. Long time ago. Before you were even born, we started gathering in the gathering. I love the gathering. I'm using the word love. I love everything about it. I love coming in here and worshiping with you and, and having our voices, all of this uh, different voices find harmony, particularly when we hit that amen at the doxology. I love opening up the book that we love and I love confessing our sins together and then hearing the assurance that we are loved and forgiven. I love coming to the table and I love being together as this gathering. And, and one of the things I love about the gathering is its name. The gathering, I think, is an appropriate name because it points us to a fundamental reality and picture that's going on in heaven right now. If you're just joining us at the gathering this year, we have stepped into a vision of worship in which we are exploring St. John on Patmos' vision of what's happening in heaven right now in chapters four and five of that epic poem. St. John is on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He was in the spirit of the Lord's day when he heard a loud voice behind him like a trumpet say, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and finally to uh, Laodicea. He writes a letter to the, four, uh, to the seven churches while he's in exile, and he has this vision then of this picture of worship that's going on. I want to share this vision with you again and again and again and again so that it is like the best music pressed into vinyl so that wherever you go from here, you will be able to pull up this vision and remember that you're part of something significant, something larger than yourselves, because it's easy to forget that. A college is a nest. You are here for a while, but you are going to fly away. And our job is to help prepare you to be lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. And one of the ways we're trying to do that is to reimagine your imagination to see reality, the really real world, where the governing dynamics are operated by God himself. And that is what this vision offers us. And so tonight, we're going to hear this vision again, but I want to do something a little different with you. I need a little help. We're going to, um, we're, there's going to be a few places where, um, there are, think of this like third grade, and there's a blank, and you're going to need to fill in the word. And I'm going to give you the cheat sheet right now. The word is thrown. And when I point at you, you're going to say, Run. yeah, that's right. Okay, good, you got it. All right, do I have any seniors here? My seniors, you are the 24 elders. Okay, you got that? There'll be a time when the 24 elders are gonna sing. 
At that moment, <laughs> at that moment, seniors, I need you to stand and there'll be words on the slide that you will say. Do I have any, do I have any juniors here? My juniors, my juniors, you are the four living creatures, all right? When it's time for the four living creatures to sing, and you got to follow along with me, um, you, I need you to stand, and I need you to, I need you to do that. There'll be time when the four living creatures and the 24 elders sing together. You got to pay attention to that too, okay? All right, do I have any sophomores here? Okay, my sophomores, you were the angels. You are the myriad of the angels surrounding the throne. Freshmen? Okay, you represent everything else. Okay. People from the community. Um, it's, yeah, there we go. <laughs> awesome. Um, whether, um, if you are above the age of 50, I want you to join um, the, the, uh, the elders. Um, if you are below the age of 50, I want you to join the freshmen in the everything. Okay, we got this? All right. All right, okay. We'll see how this goes. This is, this is what I like to call adventures in preaching. We don't exactly know what's going to happen here. Okay, hear, hear this from the book we love, The Bush That Burns and Is Never Consumed, Revelations 4 and 5. Here is if it for the first time. After this, I looked, and there in heaven, a door stood open, and the first voice, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after this. At once, I was in the spirit, and there in heaven stood a Rome. with one seated on the, Rome. and the one seated there looks like jasper and carnelian, and around the Rome. is a rainbow that looks like an emerald, and around the Rome. are 24, Rome. and seated on the are 24 elders dressed in white robes with golden crowns on their heads. And coming from the Rome. are flashes of lightning and rumbling and peals of thunder in front of the Rome. burn seven flaming torches, which are the seven spirits of God. And in front of the Rome. there's something like a sea of glass like crystal. And around the Rome. and on each side of the Rome. are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And the first living creature is like a lion and the second living creature is like an ox. And the third living creature's got the face of a human face, and the fourth living creature is like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and inside, and day and night without ceasing, they sing. My four living creatures, four living creatures, juniors, stand up. They sing, they sing, they sing. Holy, 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 the Lord God the Almighty who was and is and is to come. Well done, four living creatures. Yes. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall before the one who is seated on the and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne singing, 24 elders. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And then I saw on the right hand of the one who was seated on the a scroll written on the inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to look into it? And I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. 
And then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw between the and the four living creatures and among the elders a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell before the lamb, each holding a harp in golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sing a new song, 24, four, they sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slaughtered and by your blood you ransomed from God, saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests serving our God and they will reign on earth. And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, 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 surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands singing with full voice. 24, four angels, they singing with full voice. Worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Oh, and then I heard every living creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and all that is in them singing, everyone, 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 to the one who is seated on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. Say amen, four living creatures. And the, the elders fell down and worship. Fall down and just sit down, elders. Okay. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yes. You see it? You see it? What I want to happen is I want you to see what's going on. This is what John, this is what the gift God gives John to share with us. At a time of great anxiety, at a time of great fear, at a time when life is not going the way they want it to, God gives John a vision of assurance to show them that no matter what the circumstances are, there is a throne with a God on the throne, and there is a worship that includes them. I want you to see that. I want you to see, Yogi Berra once said, it's amazing what you can see when you look. Think about that. I want us to look a little bit at what we see in this. And one of the things that I see is a great gathering. Did you see it? Did you feel it? You got all this energy, this quixotic lightning and, and pulsing worship and praise and sacrifice. And it's, you get the, there, there's all this energy and power and um, falling down and getting up and worship and praise and spirit and tr- all of it's happening all the time, right now, and it has, it includes this gigantic gathering, which is one of the reasons why I love that we call this the gathering, because it points me to that reality every week. Week in, week out, week three, week nine, week 12, we're gonna be here, and you're gonna be carrying in your books and your, or the questions or your doubts or your hurts, and each time I want you to come in here and I want you to see the gathering. Not just here, but here. To be a Christian means you need to think like a Christian. 
To live like a Christian means first begins with imagining like a Christian. And I am inviting you to have a properly sized imagination of God and what's going on with God right now. What does this gathering mean for us, though, here at Hope College? Well, to get at that, I want to I investigate that braided ministry of St. John again, the ministry of, his, of him as a, as a poet and a theologian and a pastor. I want to use those lenses as a way to help us understand what this great gathering means for us right now. John is a poet, and the job of the poet is to help us to see reality. I think that one of the most underrated vocations in the church right now are our poets. One of the best classes I ever took in college was a poetry class that helped me pay attention to the details of words, the syntax, the rhythms. Words that didn't only tell me something, they showed me something. Someone in here tonight is called to be a poet. I just know it. And whoever you are, I know that you're probably fighting that. And I want you to know that this is one of God's vocations. This is one of the things the church needs right now. We don't need just smarter people. We need more imaginative people. We need people to help us see. Some of that's gonna be in songwriting. Some of that's gonna be in poetry. Some of that's gonna be in other kinds of writing. But we need you to take seriously the vocation of language so that we can help people see. That's what John is doing in the book of Revelation. Consider Revelation as a giant 21-chapter poem. A poet's job is to help us see reality from a new angle. It is difficult work, it is precise work, it is mentally and intellectually charged work. There's a long tradition in the, West, in, the, in the West where we pit reason against imagination. It began all when Plato wrote the Republic and he kicked all the poets out and he made the philosopher king. It set this long trajectory for reason to be pit against imagination. I think that that's a faulty dichotomy. I think the imagination is the engine that runs reason. These are not over against each other. Imagination doesn't belong to children in games. The highest level of intellectual work in philosophy and science and research demands the imagination. And so the poet's job is to call that out. And we see that at the highest level in the book of Revelation. There are 404 verses in the book of Revelation. 275 of them are direct Old Testament references. What John is doing is absorbing the whole Old Testament and reframing it in light of the good news of Jesus Christ. But he does that poetically. That is serious intellectual work. So if you are somebody in the arts who feels called to painting or to dance or to interpretation uh, arts like that, that is highly intellectual work. And your contribution matters, matters is essential for the church, just as John's was. John is a poet. And in order for us to understand this great gathering, we need to see this through the lens of a poet. Does anyone know what kind of literature the book of Revelation is? Anyone, anyone, Bueller, Bueller, total 1985 joke. It's apocalyptic. Apocalyptic literature is the literature of the poet. It is the literature that 
uh, speaks to the end times. And sometimes people get really fixated on that, on the prophecy. We treat the book of Revelation as if it's like a crystal ball and we put our hands around it trying to tease out what's going to happen here and there. And there are points where in the book of Revelation there's absolutely, absolutely prophecy happening. But apocalyptic literature is as much about what's going on right now, right now, time. And what's going on right now, and this is, is, is the reign of Domitian. Domitian is killing the Christians. He's exiling them like John. To be open about Jesus Christ as Lord is an invitation to have your life taken. Because Domitian said, he is Lord, he is God. And any confession that would challenge the power and principality of Caesar was a threat. And so how do you communicate with each other at a time of political oppression? You have to speak subversively. You have to use symbols and numbers and imagination and metaphors. You have to make allusions that the powers and principalities may not get. That's what's going on in the book of Revelation. Understand the book of Revelation not so much as a future prophecy book, but as a book that is making a serious political commentary through the poet. Now, we heard it again. What's the first thing that we see? There's some dramatic poetic imagery that's going on here. What's the first thing that we see when I point to you? A throne. Last night, that's what we talked about last week. Uh, I, I looked over his shoulder. There in heaven stood a throne with one seated on the throne. The throne is that uh, representation of God's sovereignty, of God's reign, of God's rule. Now, what does that throne look like? Before I got up to preach last week, um, the Scogan family was seated right here on my right side, your left side, and Sophia, their oldest, I think she's 11, I gave her my sketch pad and I said, hey, I want you to sketch me a drawing of my sermon tonight. And this is what she drew. Isn't that cool? So last week I preached on the throne and the one who's seated on the throne. And so I got this little 11-year-old, this little artist, future artist, I don't know how Matt's going to feel about that. Um, but she drew this beautiful throne. The throne is a, a poetic description of the fundamental reality that at the center of all things is God. And everything that happens after the, in this vision is concentric circles around this throne. There is a throne in heaven. But around the throne are then 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones are 24 elders. What does that mean? Well, one interpreter believes it means it's the uh, 12 patriarchs, the 12 apostles, old Israel in the new church. You have the law and you have the covenant of grace. You have the sacrifice and you have the freedom. You have all of that gathered around the throne. The 24 elders represents all of God's covenant people. All of the prayers all of the pain, all of the history is gathered around that throne. So when God is sitting on the throne, he is including everything that he, that is, that he has divinely acted in the world. There are 24 thrones, and then there are these four living creatures, right? The ox, the lion, the one with the human face, the eagle. Well, the ox is the strongest, the lion, the bravest, the one with the human face, the wisest, the eagle, the swiftest, the best and brightest of all creation is gathered around the throne. It includes the, the 
old Israel and the new church, the best and the brightest. And then we see also that there is this lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God in all the earth. The number seven, as you know, is the perfect number. In the Old Testament, the world was created in six days. And on the seventh day, God rested. In the New Testament, the, uh, number seven represents the four corners of creation and then the Trinity. So four plus three equals seven. So when we see the word seven, it means complete. It means whole. It means perfection. And I saw a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. We see the four living creatures. We see the 24 elders. We see the lambs. And then we see these angels, the numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. And then we see everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, pressing in towards the throne, singing, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. What I'm trying to suggest is John is a poet that's helping us to see the fundamental reality and picture of what's called the kingdom of God. And this is where he's now a theologian. The poet helps us to see. The theologian helps us to understand what we are seeing. Too often, too often, theology or words like doctrine or dogma have fallen onto hard times, and sometimes because of the way people uh, teach it or treat it. But the job of the theologian, like John, is to help us to see a vision and to live into it freshly. To live like a Christian, you need to think like a Christian. One of my favorite contemporary theologians is a guy named Kevin Van Hooser who says that theology, far from being a matter of abstract theory, is actually the stuff of real life. Real life located in the way of Jesus Christ. And the purpose of doctrine is to lead us precisely in this way, in the way of Jesus. Someone here is called to be a poet. Someone here is called to be a theologian. Someone here is gonna be called to set aside years of your life to study books that no one ever checks out. Someone's going to be required to learn other languages, to enter into the past so that you can help us live into our future. Some of you here are called to that intellectual work. And if God is calling you into that, do not, do not ignore it. This moment in your life as a student is so critical for you, but not just for you, for us, for the church. And we need you, we need all of you and that's what John is giving his life to. He's a poet, but he's also a theologian. And what he's giving us is a picture of the kingdom of God. And my friends, that is the great gathering. Worship gathers the kingdom of God. And when we are in here worshiping, we are joining the great kingdom everywhere else. Everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. Every Christian on every continent. Everyone who professes Christ in Russia, in Japan, in the Sudan, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, whatever language it might be. When we worship in here through the power and mystery of the Holy Spirit, we are participating with them. We are part of a great gathering. And theologically, what does that mean? It means a lot of things, but I want to name three things that I think are critical. The kingdom of God that gathers around the throne is big, it's diverse, and it's responsive. The kingdom of God, first of all, is big. 
To worship Christ means that we are pulled into a cosmic concern. There is not one square inch of the galaxy that does not belong to Jesus Christ. I know, I mean, I get it, that sometimes Christian culture can be really stifling. So much so that you want to reject Christ altogether. But I, I want to make sure that you don't confuse the culture with Christ himself. Sometimes we, can, we Christians can get so fixated on small concerns and, and debate all of these things. And when that happens, when we start drawing ourselves too emotionally narrow, I want to invite you to go back to this vision and to remind yourself that the kingdom of God is large. It's big. The concerns of God are big and large. We need to readjust our imagination for the kingdom of God. We need to think different. We need to think larger. We need to think with more aspiration. We need to think how God is thinking, recognizing that though we be small, we are part of a God who is mighty. God is doing a new thing, and it is for the whole world. It includes you, but it is not fundamentally about you. The kingdom of God is big. I'm reminded of that great um, quote by C.S. Lewis in that wonderful sermon called The Weight of Glory, when he writes, indeed, if we consider the unblushing promise of reward and the staggering nature of reward as promised in the gospel, it would seem that our Lord would find our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joys offer to us, like a child who's content by making mud plies in the slum because he does not know what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. When I step into this vision and I see how big the concern is, I don't want to be too easily pleased. I want to participate in what God is doing on a global scale. And the good news is, as a Christian, we get to be a part of this. Christianity is the largest, most diverse representation of, of worshipers in the world. Though it be fragmented and it's a mess, I get all of that. But it is big. When I was a boy, I used to go to this little church, humble church. And I was a twicer. I would go in the morning and I would go at night. And I loved going at the night church because it was so small. And... Um, most of the, it was most of the, the elders of our church that would come and you could kind of like, hardly anyone was there, but we would have these old hymn sings and it was a small little church. And I remember there would be moments where sometimes it felt so small, where is everyone? And then I would walk outside and it would be one of those like fall nights, you know, when the sky is clear and you can see all the myriad of stars, almost like touch the Milky Way. And the moon would be out. And all of a sudden you're intoxicated with how big this whole thing is. And recognizing that this God I was worshiping in this little church is the same God who made all of this. That's what this vision is for us. It's, it's that big. It's that expansive. The kingdom of God is big. That's the first thing. The second thing theologically is it's important and critical to get that this gathering, this kingdom of God gathering is diverse. No one, there's no one single kind of creature around the throne. The gathering includes saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
meaning the gathering is a global phenomenon. That is what is meant by when we say growing world Christians. We want to understand that our primary citizenship is defined by our baptism, not by our passport. The kingdom of God includes people from every tribe, language, and nation. It includes the 24 elders, our past. It includes the four living creatures. It includes the angels. It includes everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The kingdom of God is incredibly diverse. And this diversity is essential to the kingdom. Diversity is good because God made it. And in worship, we get to experience that. Now, diversity is not the gospel, but it is a consequence of the gospel. When the gospel is going out and it's healthy, it is representing a great multitude of God's people whom he loves. And what I love about this diversity is that it respects everyone's individuality. The lion is not asked to be the eagle, and the eagle is not asked to be the ox. The angel doesn't have to be the elder. In other words, that your particularity is totally respected while at the same time part of the great diversity that's happening. And the beautiful picture of the kingdom of God is that when the great gathering of, the, of God's diversity presses in towards the throne, they find new harmony. And I may be out on a limb here, but I believe that our challenges here at Hope College require us to press in towards the throne to find that harmony. It's there that our great diversity will find itself because no one is going to be asked to be something or someone they're not. Who you are matters in this great gathering. And it's big, and it's diverse, and it's responsive. The kingdom of God gathers a great multitude of diversity because of its responding to something that God has done not something that we have done. Do you hear it in that song when the 24 elders and the four living creatures, after they had seen the lamb take the scroll from the one who's seated on the throne, they fall down with harps, with uh, prayers full of incense, and they sing a new song, you are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals, for you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed from God, saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. The way that all of this diversity gets in towards the throne is something that God has done. God has ransomed for himself you by the peace, by the blood of the cross. In Colossians, John says it this way, in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him God was pleased to reconcile all things by making peace through the blood of the cross. This is John's poetic way of saying theologically that the cross of Jesus Christ has reconciled and now has made possible for all of this diversity to be gathered. But worship is always, always a primary response to something that God has done. It doesn't begin with us, which is a great pressure. It means that you don't have to perform to make it happen. You don't have to have special feelings to be here. All that it does is it means that God has made it possible in the, in the old time religion, we call this grace. God has made it possible through his grace for you to be his child and to be brought into this. The kingdom of God is big, it is diverse, and it is a response of gratitude. John's a poet, John's a theologian, but fundamentally John's a pastor. And the pastor's job is to help you live the fundamental truth of this vision into your daily life. And the, the 
the fundamental pastoral message, I think, of the kingdom of God for us is that it includes you. That you belong to this great diversity. You belong here in this place. You may not be at a point yet, maybe at hope because you're a freshman and you're still figuring out who your people are and where do you sit and all of that. I, I want you to feel all that feel, but know that you belong here, who you are, who God made you to be. Not only do you belong here, God needs you here because only when you bring your particularity can the whole community experience diversity. And so I wanna encourage you pastorally to keep coming. Find your place here. Find your place in this large scope of concern of the kingdom of God. God is inviting you right now to join him. Not just him, but to join that 24 elders and the four living creatures and the myriad of angels and angels and everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth. God is calling you to be a lifelong follower, to get trained, to be formed, and then to launch into this world God so loves, to bear witness to this great gathering in his name. Amen.